0: Hello and welcome, I'm Megan Crabtree and one of my favorite times of the day is when I'm getting ready and can throw on a true crime case without distraction. Every week we dive into a new case while you grab your makeup sip your coffee and get ready with murder. It's 1991 and you are on the phone with your fiance who is four months pregnant, calling you from a payphone. She begins to tell you that she is in a really uncomfortable situation as a super creepy man is lingering around the phone booth that she's in. She begins to tell you the details about this guy who is just completely filthy and really starting to freak her out when suddenly all you can hear is this guy entering the phone booth Attacking your fiance, screaming, and then silence. This is the case of Angela Marie. Hammond. Angela Marie Hammond, or Angie, as her friends and family would call her, was born on February 9th, 1971 in Kansas City, Missouri, to Marsha and Chris Hammond. They were a small family of three and decided they wanted to raise Angie near Marsha's parents in Clinton, Missouri. After they had settled there, they became pregnant again, this time with a little boy, and later Angie's parents would actually end up divorcing, but it was very amicable and Angie had a really wonderful childhood. Once she had graduated high school, she was working as a night processor at a bank and taking classes at Central Missouri State University. Though she wouldn't continue her college education, and she went on exploring, you know, who she was and what she wanted to do with her life. When Angie was 19, she started dating 18-year-old Rob Schaefer. Their romance was quick and passionate. They fell in love fast and hard, and soon they became pregnant. Now, I remember when I was 19, 20 years old, and I think my heart would have probably fallen straight into my butt if I found out that I was pregnant at that time. But even though they were young, they were incredibly excited to have this baby and start a family together. Rob ended up proposing, and Angie said yes. Rob was finishing up his senior year of high school around this time, so they were both still living with their parents, and, you know, this was pretty big transition in their lives. So Angie was a petite little thing. She was four foot 11. She had a perm, like a massive perm (laughs) that was really in style at the time. And she was super well liked. She had amazing friends and everyone said that she just had this really infectious smile. Angie's family loved Rob and the feeling was mutual with Rob's family toward Angie. Everyone overall was just really excited for their futures together. So, on April 4th, 1991, Angie and Rob went to a barbecue at Angie's mom's house. So, When the barbecue was over, Rob had to head home to babysit his little brother for his mom because remember, he is still in high school at this time and he has parents that he has to listen to. So Angie dropped off Rob at his house around 10 p.m. and went to meet up with her best friend, Kyla, while she was waiting on Rob to finish up his babysitting gig with his brother. Angie and Kyla were cruising around town doing as teenagers do. I know y'all totally did that, especially if you lived in a small town where there just really isn't anything to do. Around 11.15 p.m., Kyla decided, like, hey, I'm tired. I'm going to go ahead and go home. Now, our girl Angie is pregnant, remember? And she started feeling pretty tired, too. She was waiting on Rob to finish babysitting. But honestly, she was, she was just wiped out. Let me just say, like, if you've ever been pregnant before, you know literally walking from your bedroom to the kitchen can tire you out. So I imagine a full day's worth of barbecue and hanging with her bestie. And now it's 11, 15 PM. She had to have been exhausted. So she went and found a phone booth in a nearby food barn parking lot because remember, guys, it's the early nineties right now. And also, let's just pause for a second because I'm sure you're wondering, like, why would she stop at a payphone to call Rob instead of just going home, giving him a call from there? So Angie was living with her mom. And her mom did not have an actively working phone at the time. So Angie stopped to call Rob from that payphone because she knew there was no way she was going to be able to get a hold of him if she went home, which I get to us is probably a little weird because she would randomly stop at 1115 to use a payphone and call her fiance. But really, if you didn't live when cell phones weren't a thing, that's just how it was. If you wanted to get a message to someone quickly, that's what you had to do. So she went to call Rob and let him know like hey I'm pretty wiped out I'm going to head home take a bath head to bed he was still babysitting his brother at the time but their phone call would end up turning into like a 30 minute convo like I get it we were all young ones and we were in love and <laughs> couldn't resist those extra long conversations over the phone with our mans now personally being pregnant and exhausted, I would have hightailed it out of there, but she wanted to chat and they were on the phone for like 30 minutes. Again, kind of weird. Payphone, late at night. She was tired, which was the entire point of her calling him in the first place was to go home and go to bed. And weirder is that Rob actually lived nearby. So I'm like homegirl. Why don't you just go to his house if y'all were going to have a 30-minute chat? But I mean, I don't know. I'm not her. So about 11.45, Angie notices something really strange. An older truck would begin circling the parking lot of the foodborne she was in, and the man inside the truck had began watching her. Obviously, she was pretty weirded out. I know that I would be scared, pregnant, alone, in this parking lot late at night, but then this man would end up parking near the phone booth. So this guy would end up getting out of his truck and using the phone next to Angie. He would then get back into his truck and use a flashlight to look at something. Angie would go on to describe this flashlight to Rob over the phone because keep in mind, they are still on the line together while all of this is happening. Angie says that this man was clearly looking for something inside of his truck. So Rob told Angie to ask this guy if he needed to use the phone that she was on. They figured maybe the phone that was next to Angie had been out of order. And the man actually replied no and that he would try again in a minute. So Angie would just resume her conversation with Rob until suddenly Angie would let out a terrifying Scream. Rob obviously freaked out. He dropped the phone, ran out of the house to go to her because remember, he knew where she was. She was only down the street from him, she was like seven blocks away. He immediately jumped into his truck to see what in the world is going on. And you guys are never going to believe this next part. So he gets going down the road, right? And in the opposite direction, he sees this truck speeding down the street and Angie was inside. As this truck is passing Rob, Angie looks out the window and she screams Robbie when she saw him. And he immediately goes into action, right? He throws his car into reverse in order to chase this truck. But when Rob did this, he never fully came to a stop. And he ended up completely just like jacking up his transmission. When the truck would make a sharp right, suddenly Rob's car would just stall out and it left him completely hopeless and continuing to pursue this truck. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you find them. It's like this moment of, they're not going to get away. I'm going to chase them. There's no way this man's going to get away with taking Angie, right? And then your car dies? I mean, I can't even fathom what he was feeling. So this is now around midnight in the 90s. The no cell phone thing really causes an issue here because Rob, he's just stuck. He can't immediately call 911. There wasn't really a way to with his car stalled out. I mean, he's in the middle of the road. No phone, no way to contact anyone. So Rob would just start heading towards the police station on foot. Now, thank God someone was driving by and saw him. And that person gave him a ride to the police station. Now, they've obviously lost time because of all of this. And Rob, he gets inside the police station and he just starts unloading everything, right? Everything that he knows about this guy that Angie had described over the phone, that he was filthy. He was wearing overalls. He had a beard and he had glasses. The truck, it was either a late 60s or early 70s Ford F-150 with like a green or yellow color and a white top. And he noticed while he was chasing this truck that the back window had a decal of a fish jumping out of water, which that's impressive and super observant considering the shock and adrenaline that had to have been going through his system in those moments, you know? So you would really think that this truck could be easily picked out in a small town, right? It's pretty descriptive. And while decals like this were popular in the 90s, they had a really good description to go on, you know, the truck and the decal together. But I will say that these decals, so easy to remove. So, I mean... That would probably be like one of my first thoughts if I was the dude. I don't know. So since it was late at night on a weeknight, there would only be a few police officers available on duty, which would really end up hindering this case. Because honestly, time was seriously of the essence in finding Angie. I mean, at this point, who knows how far this guy has gotten away with with her and nobody was on his tail anymore. So the fact that Rob, I mean, honestly ran into him at all is astonishing, but losing them... It's just absolutely devastating to this case. And okay, the thing about this case too is that it was heavily a crime of opportunity, right? Because, okay, remember how I said that Angie usually worked nights at a bank? She had obviously had this evening off, so this wasn't her normal routine at all. It's not like she frequently went and used this phone booth. It really was just totally random that she was there. I mean, could this guy have been casing that store in general, just like waiting for the opportunity? That's kind of my guess because I don't think it had to do with her specifically. So the next day, volunteers would come up with a search crew and begin searching for Angie. They would go all over the highways and towns looking for her to no avail. Obviously, Rob was a part of the search team, but also her ex-boyfriend would be 17-year-old Bill Barker. Over the coming days, investigators would continue to question Rob. I mean let's get real for a second. His story is wild. It's weird at all that they were on the payphone together when she could have just driven seven blocks to his house. But the fact that he was able to catch up and see the truck with her in it, it is a crazy story. It wasn't difficult though to rule him out as a suspect. Obviously, he had a pretty good alibi being home, babysitting his brother. And then of course, phone records would confirm his story. Investigators would also interview Angie's ex-boyfriend, Bill Barker. It's not super clear, but investigators would lean to imply that Rob and Bill had something to do with Angie's disappearance. I honestly don't know why. I think the only reason Bill was questioned at all was because he was her ex-boyfriend. I don't know where they came up with this theory. So... There's that. Rob and Angie's mother would also be given polygraphs. Um, Here's the thing. We don't know what those results were. Uh, they were never released. But I am assuming since they didn't make an uproar about it that they probably both passed. So even though Rob's story was just totally wild, later two witnesses would completely confirm his story. They explained that they also saw this unkempt man near the phone booths and Angie's best friend Kyla. Well, she would also confirm the timeline of all of these events. Kyla was 100% with Angie until 11.15 p.m. And Rob made it to the police station around midnight. So there really was no way that Rob could have had anything to do with the disappearance of Angie. I mean, could he really kill and get rid of her body in like 45 minutes? I don't think so. I really don't. So the next theory would be that Angie's kidnapping was somehow related to two other recent kidnappings. Earlier, in January of 91, 42-year-old Trudy Darby was working at a convenience store about 70 miles or so away from where Angie was abducted. Around 10 p.m., Trudy would notice two strange guys loitering outside of the store, and she was pretty freaked out. So Trudy would end up calling her son, explaining the situation, and that she was getting scared, and he told her to stay put, and that he was going to be on his way over. But when he arrived, she would be gone, and the building was empty. Two days later, her body would be found by a riverbank. She was sexually assaulted and shot twice in the head. Just a month later, on February 27th, 30-year-old Cheryl Kenny was also working at a convenience store and locking up for the evening. She never would make it to her cars. It was found abandoned in the store parking lot. And although people would later report screaming in the area, she would never be found. Both of these incidents did involve stores. And maybe this guy was casing the store and noticed Angie was there. I mean, possibly. It is pretty coincidental that this happened at a store location. So in 1994, half-brothers Jesse Rush and Marvin Cheney they would be arrested for Trudy Darby's murder. Rush had supposedly talked about the crime to friends, and the friend apparently actually had his head on his shoulders and called the police. Police would later wire the friends home, and they would, in fact, catch Rush admitting to this murder on tape. While in jail, Rush would continue to talk about the crime to his fellow inmates because he is a full-blown idiot, but he would never mention the other girls. Now, this ding dong, he would be writing letters while he was in prison talking about his part in the murder of Trudy because he's, like I said, a total idiot. Cheney, his half brother, who was also arrested, originally had an alibi. His wife, who was his alibi, would later recant and Cheney would go on to plead guilty for Trudy's murder. None of these revelations, however, would lead to any closure in Angie's case. So another theory that a lot of people in the small town had is that this entire thing, well, it was a hoax, apparently the theory was that Angie was having a lot of issues at home. And so since Rob was in love with her, he made up this wild story so that she was able to get out of the house and run away. There are a few things that could possibly support this theory. In October of 91, a few months after Angie went missing, a man named Russell Smith was visiting family in town, right? Well, he was originally from Canada, and he had no connection to Angie or her disappearance. He, he had never heard of her until he came to town. But when he had arrived to visit his family, he saw all of Angie's missing posters. And he swore that he had seen someone matching Angie's description getting into a pickup truck in Canada. That also matched the OG truck's description. Old Russell was seriously wigged out. So he contacted the police and they did follow through and go to Canada. At this point in the timeline, Angie would have given birth, right? Remember, she was four months pregnant. So investigators would go to hospitals and show her photo and say like, hey, have you seen this girl? She could have possibly given birth recently, but no one ended up recognizing her. So I don't know y'all, like this just doesn't vibe for me. I get like if Rob was helping Angie to get out of a toxic situation, but these two really loved each other. I cannot understand why he wouldn't just go with her. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like also she was pregnant with his child and I can't fathom that he'd be like, yeah, girl, go ahead and go take my baby. Never see you again. It's weird. So they never would find this person that was supposedly in Canada matching Angie's description. A lot of this theory, it just, well, it didn't really add up. There was another offhand rumor mentioned suggesting that Angela was murdered and thrown into a well, like at this old artesian park in Clinton, Missouri, close to the side of a very old water ride. But it's unknown if that was ever explored. I don't know. I mean, it's a theory, so I hope it was explored. Angie's case would be featured on Unsolved Mysteries and the Maury Povich show. 90s babies say hey, but unfortunately, it is still unsolved. To this day, in April of 2021, on the 30th anniversary of Angela's disappearance, the Clinton police department announced that there was a new theory being investigated in her case, a confidential informant. And this guy apparently helped in some kind of narcotics operation. Well, he received like one of those cut and paste letters, you know, like think Harriet the spy. Yeah. And it read this. Hello, number, redacted number, I guess. We know who you are. Redacted, people like you deserve what you get. We know where your foxy daughter is at. She will see us soon. Tell wife's name. She has our deepest sympathy in her further loss. Goodbye. Weird, right? It's weird. The letter correctly identified the informant's court issued number along with his estranged wife's first name. The letter was postmarked. Guys, get this April 4th, 1991, the day of Angela's abduction the informant's wife and daughter, who was also named Angela, were living in Clinton at that time. Investigators theorize that those involved in the narcotics operation targeted the informant's daughter, but they mistakenly abducted Angela Hammond. Investigators have noted that while the theory does seem credible, they haven't been able to rule it out. So, They recently received an anonymous call too from someone who may have had information about Angela's abduction. The caller specifically mentioned details involving that letter. And at this point, they're just hoping that caller calls back. I'm guessing they didn't get a name and number, you know? So sadly, Angela's mother, Marsha Cook, she passed away in May of 21, never knowing what happened to her daughter. And Angela's case it is still unsolved and a reward is being offered for leads in this case. If you have any leads that could help find Angie, please call 660-885-2679. Well, friends, that's the case for today. I hope you enjoyed getting ready with me and that you have the best day ever. Stay aware and stay safe out there. Bye.